0: Hello and welcome to another dbsa podcast i'm sarah wendell from smart bitches trashy books and with me is contemporary romance author Farah Rashan. i sat down with Farah at rt and you can tell that at some points our voices sound as if they are about to give up because well they were about to give up we talked about her experiences in self-publishing and publishing through traditional presses like harlequin we talk about how romance covers send various signals to various readers and how to address diversity in romance How do you connect diverse readers with the diverse characters that they want to read? And how do you reach as wide an audience as possible while doing it? This is not a conversation where we arrive at completely amazing, earth-shattering conclusions, but I follow Farah and many other writers on Twitter, and the conversations that they have been having this year about the issue of diversity in publishing and diversity in romance has been fascinating, and I wanted to ask her more about it, hence this interview. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by Berkley, publisher of New York Times bestselling author Jessica Clare's steamy new romance, The Virgin's Guide to Misbehaving. This book is on sale now wherever books are sold. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can buy it. And if you are listening to this podcast while working out, which I know many of you are, you are doing great. Keep going. And now on with the podcast. Please introduce yourself and tell people who you are.
1: My name is Farah Rashan. I am a writer for Kamani Romance and I also do self publishing, uh, African American Romance. My little moniker is Sexy, Sassy Contemporary Romance Author. I love that. So that's plan. who I am. <laughs> that's a good plan.
0: Now, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you and many other authors have been very outspoken on Twitter about the lack of diversity in romance. And this is not necessarily a a surprise, the lack of diversity in romance is not a new thing, but one of the good side effects of social media is that you get to see what people are saying and if you step outside of the people who you know, you hear more about what other people are thinking and you see things from different perspectives. And what I find really interesting about Twitter myself is that two years ago, or was it three years ago, I have no concept of time, Um, I watched governments in the Middle East fall on Twitter because the American news didn't cover it. So I watched the Arab Spring on Twitter, and I watched Tunisian governments fall, and I watched the Egyptian protests, but I watched it on Twitter because that was the only place I got that information. This year and last year, I have learned through listening to what people say on Twitter about um, gender diversity and I have learned terms like cishet. I would not have ever known these words Same. if it was not for Twitter. Yes. And now I understand <laughs> yes. what that means and I and I and I have learned that it's not just male or female. There are there's like a spectrum of yeah. gender and people identify in different ways. And one other thing that I have learned that I've actually already knew was that when you are the dominant racial majority Changing your language can make an enormous difference to the people who are hurt by words that you use that are meaningless to you.
1: Yeah, you that know? you don't realize. No, is... I had no
0: idea. And, you know, contrary to other people's opinions, I don't actually want to be a douchebag. This is not that my agenda. Be... <laughs> so I've been listening to you and to Alicia Ray Rye, Rye yeah. thank you. And one of the problems with reading names is you don't hear them, so you don't know how to yeah. say them. But Alicia Rye and other authors talking about not only the lack of diversity in publishing and romance, but how the diversity is funneled into a very specific line that is not marketed the same way as white romance. One of the things that I have seen you and many other authors talk about is that there is an audience for multicultural romance. There is an audience of readers who want to see Characters of color, of diverse cultures, of different nationalities, of different, even just cultural foods. Yes. explore different cultures. Um, and I see this lacking also in a lot of areas. Like, every year I talk about how there's, like, nine Jewish romances at yes. the holidays. <laughs> to say nothing of the complete lack of Muslim romances yeah. except for all the sheiks who aren't really Muslims. They're, yeah. like, The blue-eyed sheiks. Yes. They are blue. They are are sheiks who do not have any connection to Islam. Yes, it's just amazing to me. Yes, it is. Anyway, (laughs) how do you, and I'm not challenging you, I just want to know, would love to hear more, how do you know that there is an audience? Where do you see your audience?
1: Well, of course, um because I write for the line that is, you know, the African American romance line with Harlequin. You know, that is they target the books to that audience. Mm-hmm. Our whole thing is trying to get it to broaden it from that audience, um, which has been the challenge. But we our I could give you an idea of just how big the audience is. Just last week I hosted a conference uh, it's the Romance Slam Jam Conference that is for readers of African-American romance.
0: You, know my, you have no idea how much I want to go to the Slam Jam. Yes. And I have young children. I was like, I
1: can't do a two-week RT yeah. Slam Jam
0: trip. But, oh, my gosh, the pictures look so and awesome. A lot
1: of them. Yeah, it's a huge. These are, that is my core audience. These are, are readers. Your,
0: that is your, Those are your people's. Those, those are your readers. Yes.
1: Those are the ones that I know will buy my book the day it comes out, read it within two hours, and then want to know when my next book is going to come out. And thank God for those people. You know, they keep writers of African-American romance going. Um, and, yeah, there is the audience for it. It's it's those people who have been reading romance as a whole mm-hmm. since they were little girls like me. And then they found the romances that reflect them. Mm-hmm.
0: And yes.
1: The, and the, they're, not just their experience,
0: yes. but the way that they look. They don't yes. have to... Imagine themselves as a character who is white. They have a yes. character who is the color they
1: are. Yeah, and I, I truly believe that's why Harlequin has a line. That's why Kensington has a Defina line. Has Yeah, right? you know because there is that audience, and it's it's supply and demand from sixth grade. You mm-hmm. know, if there's a demand for it, publisher going to they're going to supply it. That's
0: why the line is still and there.
1: Exactly. So there's definitely readers out there, and they understand that these are just romance novels these are love stories they just feature people that look like them
0: mm-hmm. now you have experimented with self-publishing yes and have removed the people from the cover of your books yes to in to sort of break past the visual boundary of having yes. people of color on your cover how has that worked for you how how what have you learned from that
1: I have learned that I could sell a lot more books. Yeah, don't. If say. I do not have people, I want to upload. talk to you about that. Yeah, so tell me. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, my first books that I put up were actually books that I got uh, the rights back from Dorchester Publishing. Oh, uh, you were a yeah, Dorchester I'm sorry, yes, author. I <laughs> yes, I was.
0: Yes, I was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like it sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, you know,
1: and we're pulling everybody. All down. these little lifeboats around the still around the shipwreck. Believe their me. Back. I was baptized by fire in this My publishing industry, okay? Oh, this is nothing. <laughs> I have been through a lot. Um, but you know, it's all turned out really well because I got the rights to those books back, at least 3 of them I should say. Um, right before they imploded. And, and then the I, rights
0: were sold as part of the bankruptcy deal
1: Yeah, well, it it put me as an Amazon author. They That's not bought bad them. them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, it has. It was awful as I was going through it, but it's turned out to be a good thing. Um, And I, those books had, you know, African-American models on the covers. Well, I knew that I wanted to try something with just like a scene or, you know, no people on it because I studied this industry very much, probably more than I should. But I noticed at the time that Brenda Jackson She hit the New York Times bestsellers list uh, just around that time. Uh, And I've been reading her work for years, but I noticed that she hit it with a book that did not have people on the cover. It had just the scene on the cover. And for, like, the next dozen or so books that she put out... They never put people on the cover. It was only a scene, whether it was her Kamani books or her Desire books.
0: It was tables
1: and Ta- Yes, yeah, so or like a, a, a window, beach scene. Yes, Beach chair. I think it was Intimate Seduction was the book that hit the New York Times list for her. And I thought, you know, there's something to this. So I'm going to try it. And that's what I did. And it worked really well. It worked really well.
0: And your books are about... Uh, the first one is a food truck heroine?
1: The, um, the, oh gosh, let me think. But they're food related. <laughs> I have some, well, I have several series. I have my football books, right. which are for Kamani. Um, and I did, you know, those books, did, they did well because one of them was nominated for a Rita. Uh, you know, that was... I do believe it was the first African American book that actually had African American characters on it, that was nominated for a RITA. Contemporary, I think. I think Beverly yeah. uh, Jenkins has been nominated too. No, actually, she has it. What? what? No. What is this crap? She has not. Angela Benson and. Um, talk about how much I love Chip. I, I don't. It. I'm a fan girl too. <laughs> God, I love her box. I okay. Don't. Anyway, go ahead. I know. I know because she's one of the realest people you will. Good sh- book noise. Yeah. Yeah. I love her, but she has not been nominated for a oh, the that? There's only like 5, I think. The other 3 before me were all inspirational, so mm-hmm. you know, they're their they're scene
0: covers, they don't like yeah. character covers.
1: One of them had like a woman standing with her face that way you really couldn't tell. My book I was proud because it was the first one that had black you know, black characters and it was still nominated for a Rita. Mm-hmm. Um it did really well. And so I did pick up readers of all, you know, all races, all cultures. They, they all wanted that book. So thank you, readers. <laughs> 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 but I also, yes, I did the food truck book was actually one that's of my self-published series. Mm-hmm. And it's a um, scene. It's a
0: food scene on the cover. Yes.
1: Uh, no people. No people. Um, and, you know, I did a little Christmas book that has, yeah, just an ornament. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's, and the sales are different
1: the sales are definitely different. Is and
0: your core readership still getting them?
1: They are, but because reaches, they know my name. But it reaches beyond them. Um, and the funny thing is, that series is actually, it's a novella series that I tied to one of my Harlequin series. It's small town Louisiana. Uh-huh. There are two towns. In the Harlequin books, I i talk about one town, and they're like competing against this neighboring town. So I wrote a novella series that's about the neighboring town. Funny thing is, the Harlequin books have black characters on the, the front. They do not sell as well as the, the self-published. self-published series. Does that make you angry? It makes me disappointed. Yeah. You know, um, it does. It does. But I'm somewhat encouraged because I have gotten people on Facebook. I've had people who found me through my self-published work who have gone back and read my entire backlist. How
0: much backlist do you have? How many books are we talking
1: about? Ooh, I think number 21 just came out between wow. Well, you know, I, there's a few novellas in there and I write it the counts. shorter books. It counts. So, yeah, yeah, since 2007 a, when I came out, yeah. That is a good backlist. Yeah, That's it's very it's good going backlist. well. So, and hmm. okay. So,
0: here's my theory. And you don't have to have the answer to this. Okay. But I want to know what you thought. So one of the things that I have been thinking about as I've been listening to you and other writers talk mm-hmm. about diversity and romance is how to market that idea to readers. 'Cause a lot of people, if you talk about diversity, they shut down no matter who they are. They're like I do not want to I c I don't wanna yeah. I don't I don't wish to be politically responsible in my reading. I like to read about yeah. billionaire dukes. Yeah. I really like um I really like hot billionaires. Yeah. And if you tell me I have to diversify my reading, it that shuts people down. Yes. So one of the things that I have been trying to do is think of a way to reframe the argument for diversity in books. And when I talk to people about how everyone should see themselves in a romance, people get that. Yeah, It's not like, you need to be diverse, you need yeah. to read more books with people of color. It's everyone should be able to find a book that reflects their experience, especially since romance is about intimacy and emotions. Everyone should know that their emotional experience is reflected in this genre. Everyone should see themselves in a romance. We yeah. should be able to share with people who are East Indian or a Latino or yeah. of you know Caribbean extraction. We have this represented. Everyone should be able to see themselves in the genre. And I want to figure out a way to argue for diversity with that frame. Instead of? You Just, need to do yes. better. No, I, everyone should ref, everyone should be able to see themselves in the genre. How do we make that better? Oh my gosh, I wish I knew. I don't know We either. need to come we up. Need we need to work want, on this. You want what I want. And here's the other yeah. thing. So last year there was a movie that came out of Australia called The Sapphires. Okay. And it is a terrific movie. It was it's set in the 60s, but it's about a group of aboriginal young mm-hmm. women who go on tour in Vietnam as entertainment, mm-hmm. sort of like... Um, a slightly less famous version of The Supremes. Okay. In the course of the story, there's four, um, three or four Aboriginal girls and their white Irish manager, who's like this drunken lout, who figures out that they have something special. So in Australia, that movie did pretty well in Australia. What's Australian doesn't really sell over here because we were like, oh, it's Australian. It's not for me. I'm not American. But then the movie was imported into America and the cover, um, the movie poster... They were blue. They were in the background, and they weren't even of color. They were blue. It oh, was gosh. blue shaded blocks with the women. You could not tell that they were of color. And then the white guy in the front rocking out. And people oh, in Australia gosh. were like, what the oh, fuck, America? Oh, it was inc- they, were, they weren't even, even whited out. They were made blue. Were oh, blue. my god. you know, sapphires, I get it, marketing. But... Oh, oh. This was right before I went to Australia last year. So I read this really interesting opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald and it really struck me. Because the writer was saying, Yes, this sucks. And yes, it should be you should be able to be honest about the content of this movie that it is about for women of color. But here's the thing that hit me. I think it said the minute you put black people on the cover of anything, you are saying, Whitey, this is not for you. Yeah.
1: I knew that's where it was going, yeah.
0: And I am embarrassed to say that I had not noticed that yeah. I had internalized that message. That something yeah. that has people of color on it is not for me. Not because it's in less or it's, you know, I am superior and that is lesser. It is in, it is inappropriate for me to read that. Yeah. That is not for me and that is not a place where I am even welcome. Like yeah. I have internalized that message and then I was like... Oh, well, I feel really fucking stupid now. Shit, how do I undo That's, this? Yeah. How do you undo that message? And I don't know. But it's fascinating to me that in your it's, experiments with your covers, it's it the bears same that thing. out. The minute you remove the people of color from the cover, you can say, everybody, this is for you. So on one hand, you want to have people, everyone seeing themselves in a romance, but on the other hand, you have to change the coding of the, color, of the cover so yeah. that people will look at it beyond... And actually think they can read it. This is for me as well. and it, it, This is a problem I don't know how to solve.
1: Oh, look! Don't you see that? And you know this author. I know Rochelle. Ellers? Yes. And they did that for her covers. And mm-hmm. the books are selling like crazy. Well, of course. It looks, like, it a looks Julia like a London. It looks like a Robin Carr. Robin. So I wonder if we need to do this. Because people have discovered her. They've discovered Brenda Jackson. You, And then you have Beverly Jenkins,
0: who has gorgeous covers, but those people are clearly not white.
1: Yeah, and if only people knew how much they could learn from her. I mean, her historicals are oh just... God my goodness
0: the the latest series the destiny series i've learned so much about the founding of california exactly i'm from the east coast i grew up in pittsburgh i know nothing about california except they have better produce now i know (laughs) how much about that cultural history and it is
1: so amazing and it 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 really just hurts me that other people do not realize what you are missing when you do not read those books don't don't and let that so, stop
0: you. And it is so hard to realize that you have internalized that marketing message. That there's yeah.
1: a divide and
0: that it is this is not for you. This is for someone else.
1: It's the whole shelving thing. Yes. And it's like, okay, so how do you how do you fight that? How, how do, do, we do we change, change that? that? No. But it's so deep-seated. It's so, you know, books. I hope we can start to break this up me with books because it goes so much further. <laughs> can we? Can we do that where people feel? How okay. We, how can we visually? How can we visually communicate that the
0: people in this book reflect more than just the white reading community, but yeah. also create a cover where white readers don't look at it and say, "Not for me." Same thing with Tyler Perry movies. Yeah. With the Best Man series, and there's always, yeah. always, always like, wow. That movie with all of the black people the did really, really good, good. Yeah. and it did really well. Yeah, what? why is that? Black people went to the
1: movies. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a struggle. I know. And I, I, it, one of
0: the reasons I wanted to do this interview is because a, I wanted to hear your thoughts, and b, I wanted to have this conversation so that maybe when I post this, people will have comments and suggestions. And think yeah. about the ways that they have internalized the messages on romance covers, because we also have a genre with images that are so encoded. They're sexual. They are half naked most of the time. Yeah. They are very male fetishing. They are um, they are very female fetishing. There's a whole set of fetishes in, bo- in, in both. Roles. That blue
1: eye cheek that we talked about mm-hmm. is definitely and like cheekbones, like a ski. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Shirts off. No, no, no one ever wears a shirt. Yeah. And they unbutton it, even tucked in. I don't understand this. But we are we already have a coded image where we see the clinch or we see, you know, yeah. man chest and we know, oh, that's a romance because you know that's ours, that's our image. And we have been taught to look for that image because it represents romance. And if you have a table setting and a picnic and some shoes and a sunset, women's fiction, contemporary. Yeah. And you know, you got butt plugs, whips and chains, thats you <laughs> or you got some sort of single color image that's erotic contemporary. Yeah. And then you have the 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 scene outside. Usually people in jeans. even then, that's a very specific coded image for a contemporary romance. Historical yeah. is the same way. We have been taught to visually decipher very quickly what kinds of books we're looking at. And that education that we've had, that um, understanding of how to shop quickly by the visual also limits authors who yes. have people of color on their covers. Yes.
1: Never mind the fact that they are contemporary. Yeah. It's... I got such an education when I became published because I didn't realize just how segregated it was. And Of course, Borders, you know, they're not here, but they were known for, my books were in the African American literature section. I was next to Toni Morrison and Richard Wright. And you know, I'm Which like, is Wait, awesome. no. It's great. It's right, awesome, but, but it's that's like, not where romance readers exactly. are. Exactly. Go romance readers won't do romance section. That's where they need to be. Yes. And they are not, you know, I have white readers. I have white friends that, you know, of course. <laughs> you have white friends? I have white friends. I no. have a bunch of them. No. And they all bought my book. That's <laughs> their hearts. But they also told me, you know, they had to go to the African American section. To find them. They got looked at because yep. it, you know, they Once had to leave the romance area. People are like, oh, "That's what you're looking for." Yeah, about? and they're you like, "Well, what are you doing here? Do you know where you're supposed to be?" That's what was re- created, and it actually made some people uncomfortable going for that book. So it, you Which know, it's what sucks. was created. Yeah, it was created by. By the publishers, by the sellers, I don't know who decided that if you have a black author, if you have black people on the cover, whatever, that it needs to go in the black section. section. That's starting to change now. Well, we don't have as many bookstores. There you go. So (laughs) the shelves are
0: digitally populated by algorithms and not by a buyer who puts the books over there versus over here. That's a good thing. But there's also not a lot of flawless digital discoverability that allows you to quick surf towards what you want and pick yeah. up different things. It needs to know what you bought before to serve you more of the same. And if yeah. you wanna change, you're not gonna it's
1: gonna be pretty difficult. It's disappointing. It you know, it sounds awful, but it's reality. And you can and analyze it and figure out, yeah. hey,
0: how are we gonna do this in contemporary? How are we gonna make this
1: work in contemporary? Yeah. And I would love to, you know, I talked about the books with just the scenes and all of that. Maybe that is the foot in the door. Uh They've tried it with Brenda Jackson. She, you know, she hit the New York Times and now they have started reintroducing her older titles. Yeah. You want
0: you want to be able to communicate to people who are looking for themselves that this book features their stories. But you also don't want to cut off the white audience because they also read and recommend and talk a lot about
1: romance. It is, it's a conundrum mm-hmm. that has plagued writers of color for it's so hard. long. And I
0: and I wish I had yes. like, the perfect answer.
1: Yeah, I, w- I wish I knew. And like, m- maybe Brenda Jackson will be the answer. Now mm-hmm. that they, they brought her back with, she actually has black men on the covers now mm-hmm. with A Brother's Honor and I think she some of her desires, they've started to mm-hmm. reintroduce people on the cover. Well, Brenda Jackson's name is bigger than the exactly, cover. Exactly, it's bigger than the cover. So people are totally past. they're totally comfortable reading it now. Oh. So maybe. Maybe that's a start. And it's amazing that romance is still so homogenous. It is. It is very homogenous. You know, it's like it is just not reflecting. How long will it take mm-hmm. for it to reflect how the rest of this country and world looks. Yeah. It's what was gosh. it that, like
0: by twenty forty eight in America white people will not be the majority. Yeah. Of
1: And it, like I said, it goes deeper Mm -hmm. than, you know, just a romance novel. Have you read that just rocked your world? Well, speaking of Maureen Smith, I just read her Seducing the Wolf, which... uh, Is that paranormal? It is, no, she has this set of brothers and cousins called The Wolf Pack. And these books are... So the are, title hints
0: at paranormal, but it's contemporary right? It's
1: contemporary. Um, smoking hot? It's smoking hot. <laughs> I don't know. I'm it, okay with that. You know, the funny thing is the heroine is a violinist. How many times do you see that? A classical violinist. Not often. You see pianists. Yeah, she's a violinist. And he's a biochemist of some sort. It is the sexiest... Did you hear my catnip alarm <laughs> My
0: catnip alarm has
1: just, just been activated. Oh, it is so... It was great I my reading time has been extremely limited Mm. and I had to make that too yes and you know having three books in in like few months seducing the wolf was so good it's like 500 pages of just so good yeah Mm. and it's like a reunion story you know um they were high school sweethearts she left she lives in Paris she comes back it's and yeah very hot very very hot very good so yeah you want that one okay you want that one amazing good to know yeah
0: (laughs) what is coming up for you next what books are you publishing next
1: well i plan to have uh the fourth book in my maples moments in maplesville series that's my little novella series Uh later this summer um i also have Two books coming out for Harlequin, um, Kamani Romance. Uh, you the first? Oh, I have my yeah. I have the. See, I have so much that I, I can't keep up with them. Um, I have. um uh, to the Farish on the Fair. Okay, <laughs> take a take a plate. You'll be making multiple trips. Um, I have one in October. Uh, it's a part of an anthology um, called Hot Christmas Nights, and my story is Tuscan Nights. It takes place in Tuscany and Rome, and there's tons of food because I love to eat. And I, I like this. I ate my way through Italy. Yes, it's. Uh, hard. I know.
0: <laughs> so sorry you went through that. But you it's know,
1: terrible. just imagine Rome at Christmas time, and that too is a. Um, it's kind of a younger. My heroine was going to marry the hero's older brother, and she got left at the altar, and the younger brother. He wants to show her that he was the one that she should have been with all along. Yeah, I fell in love with that story.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pharaoh Sean and I wanna thank her for taking time to talk to me at RT. It was very late in the conference and I think both of our voices were about to go out at that point. So the fact that I managed to get 26 or 27 minutes of audio out of both of our sets of vocal cords is amazing. I am imagining that some of the things we talked about have created a number of responses, so I want to make sure to remind you, if you want to email us or you want to respond to what we were talking about, you can email me and Jane at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment when the entry goes up that goes with the podcast. Either way, if you have ideas or you have things that you want to say in response, we really want to hear them because we think this is a conversation that we need to continue to have, not just on Twitter, obviously. But I also have listener mail. Because listener mail is awesome. This email is from Friday. Dear Sarah, it was a while ago now, but I think it was in a podcast that you and Jane lamented that there were no romances with disabled heroines. I remember thinking at the time, I know one, I know one, and I tracked that sucker down. It's called Ms. Longshot by Sylvie Kurtz. The heroine is an amputee and a secret spy. It's kind of awesome. Um... Yeah, you had me at spy. What is it with spy romances? I am all over that noise. Anyway, yes, secret spy. I wish to read this now. Um, Yeah, thank you very much, Friday. You are totally right. Why is spy my catnip? Is spy your catnip? Because spy is totally my catnip. I have one more email here, and this is from Jacqueline. Dear Sarah and Jane, So, quick story. I recently developed a new obsession, that of romantic comedy Korean dramas. They are basically trope-tastic and they're everything that American rom-coms are not, which is why I think I've fallen in love with them. However, as I've been reading plot summaries and and accumulating titles for my to-watch list, I realized something. I hate, and subsequently avoid, dramas where heroines are unlikable. I abhor stories where the females are bratty, spoiled, self-centered bitch-biscuits that over the course of the story change and become a good person. The minute that realization hits me in regards to my K-dramas, it also dawned on me that I avoid all romance novels which utilize the unlikable heroine trope. However, much like in Korean dramas and my romance novels, I do not mind if a hero is the biggest jerky-jerk face on the planet provided he sufficiently grovels and repents. So, my long-ass point, am I alone in this? Do you or any other listeners in podcast land have this aversion? Have you ever DNF'd a novel strictly on the heroine's craptastic behavior? What's more, why am I such a hypocrite? I'm okay with the hero being an ass blaster 3000, but not the heroine. One would think it's because of the, oh, you just insert yourself as the heroine because all romance novels are trite and you're pathetic for reading them, blah, 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 shit, but I've, that I've heard lodged against me and thousands of other romance novel readers, but no, I do not insert myself into the role of the heroine or any other character that I read. They are their own person, and I'm just watching their stories play out before me. So any thoughts, musings, comments on this topic? I'd love to hear what you, Jane, or any of the other content providers for the site have to say on this. I'm sorry if you've already covered this topic in which just pretend that all the previous words were just me praising y'all's awesomeness. Always thank you for the amazingness you guys do. First of all, you're welcome, and thank you for saying so. And second, yes, if you have similar thoughts or you also avoid heroines that you find really unappealing, you should email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com and let us know why. As for myself, yes, I have the same problem. You are absolutely not alone. For me, it's not so much that a a heroine is bratty or spoiled or self-centered. It's A, is she a cliche? Does she say completely unrealistic things? Is she a trope that is going to be made over into a better person by the wonderful, adoring love of some guy. I dislike that trope every time. What really bothers me though is when it is first person and I am inside the head of someone that I really, really dislike. I am trying to be a more patient person, but I am not always very patient, especially with characters. And it goes for heroes and heroines, but all too often, In romance, especially lately, you'll find yourself in the head of a heroine who is telling the story in first person, and when you don't like the person who's telling you the story, being in their head is agony. For me, you might witness, say, Bella Swan or Anna What's-Her-Face from Fifty Shades of Grey, who are essentially the same person. I did not like being in their heads. It was really claustrophobic. I didn't like them. I didn't like their lack of backbone, and I didn't like the way that they saw the world, so being in their heads was excruciating. When there's a heroine who's really, really obnoxious, and it's just obnoxiousness without reason, I also lose my lose my patience very quickly. It's one thing if I understand the motivation of a character who is acting in a way that's particularly unattractive, but if it's just, I am a spoiled person and I'm going to learn to be a better person, I'm not that interested really, and I don't really enjoy it with the heroes either. You are absolutely not alone, and I don't think that disliking heroines and being harder on them in romance is a result of everyone putting themselves in the heroine's place. I don't think everyone does that. I think some people do and some people don't. However, I do think that unilaterally, we as readers are much more critical and much harder on the heroines. They have a much higher standard to meet in terms of Appeal and that can make it really difficult to live with a heroine through the course of a book who you just don't like It's not nice to spend a lot of time with people you don't like especially in the intimacy of a novel So no, you're not alone. Yes is totally normal And if you're having thoughts on this topic, please email us because we would really like to know what you think Do you need the email address? I'm betting that you do and that's okay because I have a lot of information to tell you It's starting with the email address just in case you haven't memorized it you have ideas or questions or suggestions or you want to argue with us, which is totally cool, our email address is sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a message on our Google voice number at 1201-371-DBSA. Please don't forget to give us your name and where you're calling from so we can include your message as an upcoming podcast. You can subscribe to our feed, you can find us on Podcast Pickle, and thanks to Say That Again on Twitter, we are now part of Stitcher, a podcast compendium and curation service, so if you're trying Stitcher, let me know how you like it. The music in each episode is provided by Sassy Outwater, and you can follow her on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater. This is called Mackerel and Tatties, and it's by Michael McGoldrick. I will have links in the podcast entry about where you can find his fine, fine musical stylings, including Amazon and iTunes. This podcast is brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of New York Times bestselling author Jessica Clare's steamy new romance, *The Virgin's Guide to Misbehaving*. It's on sale now wherever books are sold. So, are you in the gym? Are you working out? Are you running? Are you Priscilla in the in the garage on a bike? Hi, Priscilla. Keep going. If you are working out, don't stop. You're doing great. And if you are Cat's Kids in the back seat, this podcast was completely safe for your ears. I hope you enjoyed it. I have a podcast with you and other young people in mind coming up this summer or winter if you're in Australia, but summer for me. And future podcasts will include interviews with Kate Noble and Nico Rosso and Zoe Archer. Two of those people were on the phone at the same time. You're probably going to guess who. And in the meantime, Farah and Jane and I wish you the very best of reading. Thank you for listening.